Hey, welcome to Tales from the Comic Shop. I'm your host, Joe, and today I'm joined by Eddie D'Angelini and Roger Prouse. Why don't you guys tell them about yourselves? We're back again. I'm Eddie D'Angelini. I am the co-owner and co-manager of Heidi Ho Comics in Santa Monica, California, and the creator, writer, artist of the Comic Strip Collectors. And I'm Roger Prouse, uh, co-runner of the Wasatch Comic Con and co-owner of the Nerd Store in West Valley City, Utah. All right. So how was your guys' week? Uh, been a busy week for me. We got news here in Los Angeles on um, late Tuesday that retail store shops could reopen as of Wednesday. So literally got word the evening before that we can open up uh, the following day on New Comic Day. So that's kind of sudden and shocking because we were told originally that uh, retail businesses are probably going to just stay completely closed until probably the end of July. And then all of a sudden, just with no warning, you can open. So we're open again. So how big of a scramble was that for you? Uh, it was a scramble in um, to get the guidelines down because they pretty much just said, hey, you can open if you follow the guidelines. And we were kind of struggling to figure out what the, exactly the guidelines were. I mean, beyond the obvious, um, everyone wearing masks and having to clean and, and, and all that stuff and social distance. But uh, as far as anything else that businesses had to comply with, it was really tough to nail down any of that info. It, it wasn't just easily accessible. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a scramble. Wow. So what does that mean for your employees? Are they coming back? Or is it just going to be you and the other owners for now? Well, it's really their choice. We told them that it's up to them if and when they want to come back. So for the most part, it is basically my wife and I. I mean, our hours are still limited. They're not back to full hours like they used to be. Uh, And it's my wife and I and a third employee that are pretty much running everything right now. Wow, <laughs> that sounds um, like a lot of extra workload added on to your already pretty hectic schedule. Eddie, good luck with that. It, it is, it is, but you know, we're, we're doing what we can. Okay, uh, Roger, you got anything? Nah, man, I've been, as far as the comics and stuff, it's been a pretty boring week for me. I got nothing to share. Yeah, I didn't even get anything in my pool this week. <laughs> I got, I literally went into the shop pick up my pool and they had zero comics for me. I was, my wallet was happy, but my head was disappointed. <laughs> zero, be, zero because nothing that you get came out or that, or was he shorted and just didn't get stuff? He was both, I believe shorted and, um, stuff didn't release like it was scheduled to. Um, he actually, it was interesting. He was saying he didn't, really he has he wasn't even really aware of the whole dcbs um midtown comics distribution thing and i was a little surprised by that because he's been in business for well over at least 20 years at least i'm i'm shocked how would how could he not know is he older yeah you know he's he's probably he's older and he probably doesn't uh use facebook a lot and probably is not in a lot of the retailer groups yeah, exactly. He's not a social okay. media guy. All right, because that's he was, where pretty much all the news broke and continued on from. So I can see where maybe he just had no clue. Yeah, I yeah. think in modern age, you, if you're going to run a business, you got to be a social media guy. I don't think you get to do, separate those things anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, he's got a system that works for him. I mean, he's got his main store and then a second store that also functions as a giant warehouse. But, I mean, he's mostly magic cards and games a lot of D and D books. I mean, comics have kind of taken what started as a comic shop. Comics have definitely taken a back seat to other, yeah. other, uh, fandoms. Then but, that makes sense. It sounds like he's one of the, and not to, to knock them in any way, but it sounds like he's one of the old guard comic shop retailers. Yes. Uh, and no, as far I mean, as, he as works really hard. No, he works really hard to make his store a comfortable environment, which I really appreciate. Like you guys do, like it's important to him that anyone can come into his store and be comfortable. 
But um, yeah, no, he's definitely been around for quite a while in the industry. And so he's also got some old school policies and stuff that is interesting. But <laughs> but that's neither here nor there for us. So, um, all right, well, moving on. Um, one question that I know you guys get frequently over and over again is how should I get started collecting? How do I collect? Roger, why don't you kick us off here? Yeah. So, I mean, especially in my store, you know, when we created our store, our entire intention, the reason that we did most of the things the way we did was specifically to um, encourage new readers and include encourage new collectors. We opened in a mall where it's a lot of general public. We, you know, trained our people on how to be very friendly to initiating those conversations with people. And so I usually talk to people and I tell them, the most important thing, and, and there's some experimentation involved, but figure out why it is you want to collect and what it is you want to collect. Um, now, that can be different answers for a lot of different people. I'd say the most common, people want a good story. People come in, they really want to. I, I find, I don't know, Eddie, if you find the same thing. I find most of your early collectors and most people starting collecting are what I call story-based collectors, where they collect based on liking a genre or liking the concept of a specific story and that's what you sell them on and then they learn that story and they learn that type of thing oftentimes those people tend to develop an art style that they really like and become kind of art collectors um which is another kind of kind of subset of the the story collector that i that i look at where they'll collect certain types of art or certain artists or certain creators but they, they generally start in my experience by reading you also have people that start by wanting to collect what they, you know, had as a kid and lost, or they, they really um, want to start by it. You do get some, and I don't think it's as often as people think, but you do get some that want to come in that want to either be investment um, collectors or speculating collectors, which I know sounds a little bit like the same thing, but I, I don't think they are. And I can get into a little bit later on why that is, but um, people that are kind of collecting for monetary gain, either in the short or, or long term, but I, that's not nearly as common. Um, in my experience, as people wanting to get into it to read. What's your call on that, Eddie? Oh, I totally agree. The majority of people that come in new are coming in to be a reader. It, it, it usually comes from somewhere else. You know, like they, they played a video game of a certain character they liked or saw a movie or a TV show, and that is like their gateway. And from there, they come in and say, well, I really like this character. Or I really like the story in this movie. What do you have that's like that? And so they definitely come in, the majority of them come in as readers. Only a small amount who know nothing about comics <laughs> come in and say, so like, what should I buy that's going to go up in value? <laughs> it's usually always reading. Reading is the gateway into collecting. And from there, they start to gravitate towards certain creators, like you said, Roger, certain art styles and um, kind of find their niche of what even, they like. Even certain publishers. I mean, there are definitely people that will follow yes. a specific publisher. Oh, well. sure. That, I mean, what's the big question? It's like, you know, when someone comes in to uh, start reading or collecting, their first question that they have is trying to figure out, am I, am I Marvel or am I DC? Right. You know? Right. And so it, it goes from there. You, you um, come in as a reader and you come out as a collector. Yep, I agree. Most of the time, I think that's the case. Now, I, I would also preface this by saying, even though I, I recommend people to start by identifying what it is they're out of, go where that leads you. I mean, you very well may find that you really enjoy the ups and downs and crazy world of comic speculating. And just as a hobby, it's a fun hobby and you can make a little bit of money if you do it right and you can lose a lot of money if you do it wrong. Um, and so, but you might find you enjoy that. And you know what, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to stand here and tell people the way that they should collect or, or shouldn't being more valid than, than another. Um, but identify why it is you want to start, but be open to where that may lead you. You know, for me personally, when I started collecting, I had literally zero interest in silver age books at all. Like I had no interest in any, anything other than modern. Um, you know, we've talked in the past that I got into this a lot later than most. Um, and so the, none of that really appealed to me. And it was once I got into the lore and once I, I understood, and really once I started studying the history of comic books, it was the history that was behind that piece. It was the, the it, more than the piece itself for me, it's, it, it's buying a piece of history. And that's what I became to kind of understand. And that's why I developed a taste for Silver Age. And I developed some of that into my collection, although mine is not as Silver Age heavy as, as many in my position still. Um, but, you know, I had to work my way into that. That was not a natural thing for me right off the bat. Yeah, that's where I started. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are. I mean, that's not uncommon yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, among story collectors, um, you know, 
one of the things that I think is a big flaw that, and I actually think a lot of comic shops make this flaw, and Eddie, you touched on this a little bit, is people will come in the shop and they'll say, okay, I want to get into comics and I love Batman. Your comic shop's initially immediately going to say, great, let's find you a great Batman book. And that's, that's okay, but they don't do a very good job of saying, what is it about Batman that you like? And saying, okay, oh, you love the detective aspect of things. Well, let's talk to you about some Ed Brubaker books. You know, let's talk to you about some of the different independent titles that have that same element, but go into these other worlds and these other stories and help you branch out you could, a little bit more beyond just the Batman. Or, oh, you really like the, the action in it. Well, you're, you know, some of these titles are maybe going to work a little bit more for, than, for you than others. You know, maybe have you tried, whether it's within superhero or without super, outside superhero, you know, other books that, that, that encompass those same, um, those same values and those same types of storylines. Yeah, I definitely have experienced and seen that a lot. You, you go in, you ask for a recommendation, you get a lot of, you get pointed to Watchmen, you get pointed to uh, maybe Sin City or Preacher or, you know, whatever the generic, I mean, not generic, these are obviously great books, but the typical kind comic. Cliche, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think part of the flaw, too, that happens sometimes is, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, if my first book was Watchmen, I probably never would have picked up a comic again. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's just, if you are somebody that comes into this as a, in the modern age, you know, you don't look past, it's harder for people that are just coming into this and really, truly just coming into this fresh to look past some of the limitations in art and printing and in production that some of those older comics had. So I'm really hesitant to recommend the classics to new readers. Um, that is not where I ever go because for me, while those have a place, I think those have a place once you're a comic reader. I think if you're trying to get people into being new readers, what's coming out now is coming out now for a reason. And that's the world that these people are living in. And so you need to give them something that reflects the world they're living into it to attract them to the medium first. Um, and I think another thing is, you know, again, touching on, you know, Watchmen, Alan Moore is not an easy writer to read. Um, and if you're trying to get used to a new comic book medium that you're not familiar with the medium that's already it has a little bit of learning curve of just how to read a comic book um i try to start people with lighter reads i try to start them with things that are maybe a little bit more linear a little bit less um you know i I don't like stuff that really plays a lot with panel structure and those types of things which 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 can be great books but i don't like them for beginner readers um that's what that was a big hurdle for me when i first got into it as an adult that i try to be cognizant of when i'm recommending books to new readers as well i agree i would never give a new reader stuff something like watchmen or dark knight returns you've got to really uh be familiar with the medium before you read those because those obviously build upon years and years and years of the medium as an art form and shake and shakes it up. So if you're just a beginner, um, that's just too advanced for you. I think, uh, there's a, there's a bit of a learning curve when you start reading comics, if you never have before, because you kind of get, got to get the idea of how the stories flow in a comic, how the panel structure works. And if you're given something to read that has like this really advanced panel structure, it's going to confuse you. Cause I know a lot of beginning readers, will say, well, I don't understand like which uh, word balloon I'm supposed to read first. Yeah. And you've got to get something that's just done in a basically in the format so people can very easily understand how it flows when you read it. So one of the ways I think I avoid uh, the cliche at my shop, and by I, I mean myself and my employees, is we don't just say, oh, you're a new reader here. These are considered the greatest um, you know, comic stories ever, Watchmen, this, that, whatever. Uh, we don't do that. Uh, a good question that we lead in with is, oh, really? Uh, you want to read comics? Well, let's find something that you like. What kind of movies or what are your favorite movies and what are your favorite TV shows? Because that's always a very good lead in into something that's either maybe superhero or maybe uh, an indie book, a crime book. Uh, I agree. A, a horror book. Uh, something that's outside of just the expected genre of superhero. I agree. So that that tends to be a really good lead-in question that can point us to what they want to read and what they want to see rather than us telling them what they should be reading. Yeah, and I generally also try within 
maybe not the first. I mean, I try within the first book, but if it's not the best fit, I don't try and force it on people. But within the first few books that someone reads, I try to get them to branch out from superheroes at some point. I, I actively try to put something in their hands that's not a superhero book because people come to a comic shop, they already think superheroes. I find there's a, there's a couple problems. First off, superheroes in comics especially for the people that are new to this, they are not as approachable as superheroes in the movies. Um, you have generations of lore that go into these and, and reading, yeah. you know, reading um, orders that are hard to figure out. And, and there's a lot of that becomes very frustrating for new readers. Um, so that's part of the problem. But also part of the problem is I want to show them what the comic medium really has to offer because I don't want them to pick up five or six comics. And go, yeah, those were good stories. Okay. I'll go, I get so much superhero. I got all these movies and stuff you know, I'll just move on. And, and I, and I think you really do a disservice to both them and, you know, to yourself. If you don't say, let's look at some of what comics have to offer. That isn't just superhero because it's really some of the best, I, in my opinion, there's some of the best literature ever written was written in a graphic format, but you have to kind of branch out and have to really go out there to find it. I agree. I mean, let them find the superhero stuff that they like on their own. And they will. Cause it's, yeah, because it's so prevalent, they'll find it and they'll gravitate towards what they like pretty easily. But it's a lot harder to gravitate towards the more indie stuff that's different. I remember one time where someone came in wanting to start reading comics, and I could tell right away that their only their only idea of what comics were were superheroes. And I showed them a copy of March, and they were floored. They said, "Really? I mean." this is comics. Comics are like this. And I, yeah. And so I showed them a few other similar things and they were amazed and they just bought them all. They said, I can't believe that, you know, comics are like this or, you know, these kind of stories are being told. I, this is the stuff I want to read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a little informal poll a couple years ago on my store's Facebook page, you know, about how many people do read comics. And even on my store's Facebook page, which is a comic store, it was about 50, 50. I asked how many people would be willing to, and about 80, 90% said they would. And I said, but if you wouldn't be willing to tell me why. And by far the number one answer I got was some version of, I don't like superheroes. And that was why they wouldn't be willing to read a comic because these people legitimately thought that was the only thing comic book had to offer. Um, and I thought that was really eye opening. And looking to like, say the last, what, 10 or years or so, probably one of the most um, sought after and valuable books for collecting is Walking Dead number one, which isn't even a superhero book. Right. Probably the most valuable if you're talking about, um, um, you know, since 2000. I can't think of anyone that was, with the exception of a few variants, that was like a, a, a first print book that would be worth any more than that one. Right. And I mean, we're talking like just a, a, a regular cover A. Yeah, regular mass uh, release. Yeah, regular mass release, a number one. Um, there's nothing comparable. And it's like, you just said yeah, it's not a superhero. Well, and if you I mean, go to the 80s or back back further, I mean, for what's considered the modern age, the most desired and most valuable book is also not, I mean, I guess you could kind of consider it a super, but it's not a Marvel DC superhero book. It's TMNT number one. So again, are you breaking out of that Marvel and DC mold there? Yeah, which is what people think of comics when they first come in and start reading and collecting. Have to be exposed to this whole other world of independence yep. out there. Yep. So I think it's important that we say that this is not telling people who are already collecting that they're doing it wrong or telling people how they need to collect. This is information that we wish we had had when we started. And it's stuff, it's stuff we've learned from our mistakes that we hope help you to avoid them. I think the way we're going to kick this off is we're going to break it down into the types of collectors that we frequently deal with because it's important to know what type of collector you want to be before you start making a significant financial investment. And the four types of collectors that we have identified are story collectors, people who are mainly interested in a storyline they want to read and follow, art collectors, people who might be more interested in different covers they might not be as interested as what's on the interior as they are as just getting the covers that they like and displaying them and appreciating the art that way people who invest in comics so people primarily interested in buying something that they think will appreciate and then speculators I know this is going to be a lot to unpack, so we're probably going to do this over a couple podcasts, or we're definitely going to do this over a couple of podcasts. 
But we're going to start off with story collectors. Roger, why don't you break it down what it is and who who these people are? Yeah, so um, again, I think most people start out as story collectors. Um, I do think there are different types of story collectors. Um, you do have some people that really like to go back and get completed runs. Um, though that that's one type, and I, I'd say those are probably in the minority. I'd say the majority break into the other two categories that I would identify, which is people that like to stay current on kind of what's coming out, watch, you know, read it, discuss it, those kind of things. And then your wait for trade type people, your people that like to get it once it's collected, get the whole story right there in front of them, buy in trade paperback. Um, you know, when you're deciding which one you want to do for me, I think there's ups and downs to all of them. I, I do a little combination of all of it for me personally, you know, the, the stories that I collect in, individual issue and I keep up on issue by issue. They're generally the ones that I'm the most passionate about and the most into. Um, they're often the ones that offer the best as far as the best cover art or the best letter section, those things that you don't get with the trades, um, the trade paperbacks. Um, and for those who don't know, the letter section is where people actually write in questions about the books and the, um, creators will talk about different stories involving the book and those kind of things. And I tend to collect individual issues far more often on independent titles for my own reasons, mostly the fact that for independent titles, if their individual issues don't sell well, they are far more likely to impact the people who created those books and the publishers because they're smaller and they have a harder time. And so for me, I just want to put my financial support behind those people and encourage what they do. Marvel will be fine with me buying trade paperbacks. DC will be fine if I buy it, read in trade paperback. It makes a bigger difference for these smaller companies and these smaller creators. Um, so I really try to focus most of my individual issue money personally on smaller ish creators and smaller publishers. Um, the big advantage to doing issue by issue, obviously you keep up with the story more often, um, especially when you're going into comic shops. You know, we've talked in previous episodes how comics uh, shops really offer a community. One of the great things about that community is you can talk about these things as they come out. Big cliffhanger happens. Everybody's on. Everybody knows it. It really intertwines you with that community really well. Um, I, I liken it to people who, you know, it's not that dissimilar to any other form of media. If you go out and see a movie in the theaters, um, you're going to be there. You're going to not have to worry about spoilers. You're going to see it when everybody else is talking about it. Or if you wait for Netflix, both ways you see it. One way is a little cheaper, but, you know, there's always that good experience of going to theaters and seeing it sooner. Um, and so for me, collecting issues is like going to a theater to watch a movie where collecting trade paperbacks is like waiting for Netflix. Good analogy. This is the one that's closest to me because I'm a run collector and I know we're a dying breed. I mean, it, it, I understand it. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you are worried about the financial aspect of comics to go back and buy a bunch of $5 comics in between the keys from 40 years ago. I just, I'm, I'm, I've become something of a completionist. I don't know where that aspect of my personality came from, but I just, I need the whole thing. Um, well, and let's be clear, there are things that you lose if you get the omnibus of those old stories versus having original copies when you're when you're reading them. I mean, they're not it's the art is not the same on the, the omnibus paper. You lose the vintage ads a lot of times, you lose those those awesome letter sections from some of the legends of the industry, you lose those great covers, you lose the smell. I mean, don't underestimate the smell of an old comic book. I know that sounds weird for those who haven't <laughs> experienced it, but um, the amount of impact that can make. So uh, you do absolutely gain from collecting the individual issues on those runs versus reading them in other formats. And there's no, no, I understand. But it, if, if, if you're big into like keys, I understand where you don't want to spend $500 collecting the issues between I don't Hulk know. 182 and Hulk 271. Yeah, mm -hmm. there you go. Perfect. I, I understand where, you know, you don't, you know, you need, you know, spending that money in between there doesn't make sense if you're just trying to build a wall of slabs. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, most people do it. <laughs> it's just for me, I just, I want the whole story. Yeah, I mean, the runs that I collect, though, are also, they're important to me. Sure. And that, it's not about, it's not about as much about the finance as just the importance of the run to me. So, because it's. For you, in your case, and then in my case, obviously, with Spider-Man, it's a character that you love. So there's a bit of a bragging rights of having Definitely. a full completed set and also having it almost like as a time capsule, a piece of history, all complete. No, that, that's another great point, too. Yeah, there. Is, I mean, there's something about like if you buy when you buy a Golden Age book, 
you know, you need to pull it out and rebag it and check it and make sure that it's complete and um, everything. That goes. I mean, it's just there's something special about those books. Yeah. You're holding a piece of Americana, just a very, an irreplaceable, because, you know, I mean, it's, if something happens to that, there's nothing you can do to fix it. You know, that's just the way that it is from then on. And so but, and then it's also kind of it, a responsibility. And having it and holding it and having it as a piece of history and smelling it, like you said, Roger, you're not going to get that from a reprint or from an omnibus. And, um, that is really what comes down to, it's the whole essence of collecting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, I, I think there are people often go. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm more of a key collector. I will have certain things for me. It's keys and covers. Um, uh, there's covers that I particularly loved. I'm going to take them, whether they're a key or not, um, just based on my personal taste. And frankly, for the keys, I have to also love the cover. So it, I mean, covers are a big part of it for me. Um, but you know, I, if I read the stuff, I read it in omnibus form, but mostly when I'm reading it, I'm, I'm reading it as a way to kind of just more understand the history and appreciate it as much as I am recreationally. For me, it's almost more research into, into the world because there's so many other stories that out there that, to be honest, I find more appealing than most of the Silver Age stuff with the exception of some of like the old pre-code horror and some of that kind of stuff. So, um, I, like I said, I think for every person, it's a little bit different. My advice is if you're going to collect a run, if you're going to collect runs, you know, identify how long it's going to take you to complete it. And a budget. By, <laughs> yeah, and the budget. Those are the two main things to really think about before. Because, like, the first run I ever collected completely was the New Teen Titans Perez, Tales of the New Teen Titans, New Teen Titans, George Perez, Marv Wolfman run. And I kind of went into that and I was kind of all over the place with it. I didn't have a plan going into it. And I ended up, it ended up costing me, like it cost me more money to put that run together than it should have. And um, that's because I just wasn't, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have a plan. I wasn't organized. I didn't know what I wanted to, to put the proper preparation in. And um, when I moved over to Saga, that's when I really learned. And I put a plan together, and it went a lot better. It was, um, I mean, obviously it's a much newer comic, so it was a little easier to do. But it's not then, easier to find book though. It's harder to find those early Saga than it is to find the new Teen Titan stuff. Um, yes and no. I mean, to get a clean copy of number one can be a pain, but there's seven printings of it. I think. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, you know, decide your definition of a run because for some people, they don't need to have Saga one first print. They just need a copy of Saga number one, and then they're happy to move on to two, three, four, five because they just want to be able to read the whole thing. And if that's what, that's great. If that's all that matters to you, some people, they have to have every single cover in the run, all variants, and that can get kind of insane with. In any modern book, that can be insane. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, for instance, my Batman Rebirth run, I have every cover except for... I don't have all the variants of number one, and I don't have all the variants of number 50, because I just was like, I'm not going to spend $1,000 to buy all these variants. It's just not worth it to me. Yeah. Yeah, imagine being the guy who decided to collect every variant of the Marvel Star Wars run. <laughs> Yikes. Um Kind of similar to that. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this because it's going a little farther back. Probably you didn't. I don't think you even had the store at this point, Roger. Um, there was an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and this was before issue 700. It was like I know. Five, I think I know what you're talking about. The so store variant. Uh -huh. Yeah, there was a variant where uh, there was an issue where all the stores, any store who wanted to cooperate could get their own custom store variant oh, of this issue. And it was basically, it was, uh, yeah, it was, um, for those who don't know, it was Spider-Man on the cover holding a newspaper, and then you could pay to have so many printed of the newspaper basically saying, you know, your store name, you know, in yeah. the story on the front page uh, story of the paper. And um, at that time, I was working for another shop, and they had one, uh, they did one, and we were getting calls nonstop from people, not from all over our, uh, the U.S., but from all over the world wanting to order it because Insane. there were people out there that were putting complete sets of every single store variant. 
shot to Ryan Tate. Shot shot to Ryan Tate, a uh, friend of uh, mine. Um, he has completed that set. Ugh. That's unreal. <laughs> but Ryan, did that same thing Ryan at one has, point too, didn't just, they? Just, just going to point out, Ryan does have two copies of the Spider Island Del Auto cover. And one's a 9.8. So Ryan's a uh, Ryan's a Spidey fan on the same level as Eddie. I mean, he goes above <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> yeah, I would never even try to do all those store variants. It's just that's, no, thank you. Yeah, that's that's an exercise in masochism. It is. <laughs> I, I can only imagine the phone bill of all these people uh, that were calling every single shop all around the world, right, asking to order a copy. Yeah, no, I mean, there's still people putting that run together. I mean, they, you know, it's. Uh, it's a real thing. I mean, people will have to have every cover to feel their runs complete and um, more power to them. I'm, I'm not there. Like I think with my <laughs> Batman run, I might, if, if I ever finish my one to current, I might go back and try and start putting the rest of that together just because I love Batman. But that's the only scenario where I can see myself like going after those books. Well, that's a lot easier a lot of times if you're focused on Silver Age because there weren't that many. I mean, even even if you talk about different variations in either pricing or um, you know, like the Whitman or those types of things, there still weren't nearly as many variants and variations back then as there are in, in modern age collecting. No, no that's absolutely the tough, true. The tough ones, though, are the Marvel. Uh, 30 and 35 yeah, uh, set those price can be really tough. Those can be really tough if you want to be a completist, especially if you're a Star Wars fan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I mean I mean I know a few guys who even go they want the Pence version, they want the Canadian version. They want New Stand and Direct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that's um I mean Hey, if that's your thing, more power to you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like I was saying, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ways to go about collecting runs and stories. But the main, Im- most important thing to take away from it is uh, learn from my mistake and have a plan going in. Don't just kind <laughs> of uh, slapdash decide this is what I'm doing and then go after it and uh, end up burning through money that you don't need to spend chasing book and that's the other thing a lot of people need to understand is you know you get i need this book and it's hard to find and this guy has it but he has it for an unreasonable price a collectible and there's more than one <laughs> you'll find another with some exceptions yeah. there are some there exceptions are a few. to that but yeah but not many you're right yeah um and then you know on that note if i was given you know my best piece of advice somebody is wanting to get in just as a new reader and collect new books the first thing i'm going to tell you is you know, don't buy your book off Amazon. Don't buy your book online because you're going to get reviews of the total quality of the book that is not going to necessarily reflect reflect what your experience is going to be. You know, you're going to buy a book that's heralded as an all time great that's just not for someone in your position. You're going to have a negative experience. You're going to chalk that up to comics not being for you, um, and that's that's not the experience you want. Uh, go to a comic shop, find a good one, find one that that really takes the time to talk with you, listen to you and treat you the way you want to. Don't be afraid to walk into a shop, determine that it's not for you, not buy anything there and find a new shop. I mean, look around a little bit, find the shop that's your shop that really gels with you. And don't, and I would, I would tell you, you know, whatever it is that they recommend you, um, make ask them to recommend something that's not marvel or dc on top of the inevitable marvel or dc book that you'll end up picking up to and i would do both um because you really do yourself a disservice if you don't branch out in, in, into the wider world of what comic books have to offer even if you're a big superhero fan you make a really good point roger because not every shop is the same and you can walk into a shop where it's just not a right fit for you and we get that a lot uh, where people will come in and say, well, I went to such and such shop and I felt like they weren't listening to me or they didn't know um, uh, too much about you know what I was interested in. And uh, I think it just takes someone who's willing to listen. I mean, comic shop uh, people, you know, us owners and employees, we're kind of like bartenders. Uh, we're there not just to recommend stuff, but we're there to listen. Yeah. And get an idea of who you are and what you like and where your interests are and try to guide you towards those things. Yeah, and I think that's a good analogy, too, because I think that a lot of what we try to do is create a community um, very similarly. And just similar to, you know, 
Um, all, and, and when I say that that shop's not for you, that's not to disparage that shop either, because I will tell you that my shop is not for some people. And, and I, I fully identify that and I'm fine when they go to my competition. In fact, I will recommend them to my competition if I feel like they're a better, um, they're a better store for their fit, because I understand what each of our strengths and weaknesses and what each of our niche is and, and those kind of things. Um, and I just want people to have a better experience overall. So if I don't feel like I can service that customer the way that somebody else can, I'm happy to send them to them. Cause I know that any of us are going to be able to service them better than Barnes and Noble or Amazon. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's either right for you or it isn't. And like you said, it doesn't, uh, you know, mean to be a negative thing on any shop. Yeah, absolutely. I think once you get exposed to comic books uh, and start reading them, I think there is one thing that is going to automatically turn you off or turn you on to reading something. And that is definitely the art. Uh, You may not fully understand exactly how comic art works or what it really means or what's good or what isn't, but you know what appeals to you and what doesn't. And sometimes as a new reader, you'll open up a book and you'll see the art and you'll go, oh, you know, I don't like this. Or you'll go, wow, this looks amazing. And it's, I think, one of the main factors that can really draw you in, uh, can draw you into what you're going to read, what you're going to enjoy, and eventually what you're going to collect. And the further you go with this, um, you'll start to be able to identify certain artists that you like. You'll begin to just um, know their style and their look on site without even being told oh, it's yeah, them. Easily. Yeah. And it, uh, I think results in just you automatically gravitating towards that creator on a regular basis to the point where, uh, there are a lot of people that want to collect just what that artist does and follow just what that artist does. Yeah. And I would expand on that by saying, um, be a little bit careful. Uh, obviously the art's what attracts you at first, but you know, one of some of my least favorite books I've ever read were ones that had beautiful covers and beautiful interior art that I ended up hating the book. And some of my favorite books I've ever read, I initially really did not like the art and I had to, you know, really have some time to get into it. I will tell you, you know, one, of, I think one of the best widely considered one of the best comics ever made is preacher by Garth Ennis. Um, and when I first picked up that, um, that book, I was not a fan of either the interior or the cover art. Like it just was not my style. And frankly, um, it took me a while to warm up to, um, to the art in that book, um, by specifically Steve Dillon's interiors. Um, but by the end of the book, I will tell you, I could never imagine that book with anyone else doing the interior because his interior art is so much of what made those characters, what they are and made that story, what it was. Um, I would say the same thing about Deadly Class. Initially, the Wes Craig's art was a little bit off-putting. He's very has his own very specific stylized, um, you know, his own style that he, he adds to that. But it fits so well with that story. Um, and sometimes it's not the artist; it's the fit with the with the writer. So give it some time to get into it. See if it's something that you can kind of come around to. And you know what? Don't feel bad either if you get into something and you say. You know, everybody tells me that Preacher is a great book. I really did not like it. That's fine. You don't have any obligation to like Preacher or to like Frank Miller or to like um, uh, any any creator. Alan I mean, Moore. <laughs> even Alex Ross. You can even not like Alex Ross. That's <laughs> no, blasphemy. <laughs> so so it's it's totally okay if if you if those aren't to your taste. You don't have any obligation to read them just because everybody else loves them. True. I actually just picked up an Alex Ross Alex Ross autograph. Not that that's relevant, but <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to show you guys what my brother picked up at Comics Pro this year from Alex Ross. It's it's uh it's it's hilarious. I think I think what we're saying, you know, the if you're a cover collector, I think one trap that's really easy to fall into is again overpaying because you have to have that book and it's hard to find and this guy's got a copy of it right in front of you like i I, that's like the number one trap that i see people fall into over and over again yeah it is i would also argue though that if you are buying something i mean obviously you should you should have into if you can get it you know same object from somebody else for a lower price obviously you want to do that but if there's ever, I never purchase something that I ever have 
with collecting where if somebody told me that isn't worth anything, I'm still okay with the amount I spent on it, <coughs> if that makes sense. Um, you know, with the only exception being some specific blue chip books. Um, but like if I'm buying a piece of original art, um, I'm buying it because that art is worth that much to me, whether it's worth that much to someone else. And if I'm buying a book, I'm buying it for the same reason. So, um, if you, one of the other traps on, on your note that I think is, is potentially even more toxic, Joe, is people that will buy a book and get it for, you know, say you buy a book, you get it for 10 bucks and you're really happy with the purchase. When you buy it, you find it $5 at a different booth at that con. And now all of a sudden you hate your purchase. Well, if that book was worth $10 to you half an hour before it's worth $10 to you now, and that's okay. I'm more talking about with like new release stuff on like, on like auction sites more than like a $10 book. I'm talking about like the book came out this week and it's price jumped up and, um, it's all sold out everywhere, but this guy will sell you his copy for 500 bucks. Yes. So certainly, certainly don't buy a cover. If you think that, you know, if to you that cover is only worth, you know, say 20 bucks to where you'd be happy displaying it on your wall, but it's a 56 yard book and you're just really worried it might go more expensive. So you're going to pull the trigger anyways. Don't make that purchase. That's kind of, I think we're kind of making the same point in that regard is, you know, if you can't be happy with the book for what you spent on it, you shouldn't buy the book period, whether it's going to go up or down later, it's just not worth that risk. Agreed. This is a slippery slope, isn't it? Because we're talking about variants that uh, shoot up in price the week they come out. But if it's something you really want and you're not willing to pay that price, um, how much, and this is probably a very uh, good chance of this, how much is it going to be two, three weeks from now or a month or two from now? Is it going to stay that price or is it going to drop to half that amount? I guarantee you every one of us has an example of a book that we got that was a variant that we said, oh, we'll hold off till it goes down and it went up or a book that we bought because we were afraid it was going to go up and it went down from when we bought it. You know, like I think we all have examples of both of those things. So it's a really non-exact science. And that's why I try to just make sure that, hey, if I buy it, I know that I'm getting it for the price I'm getting it for. And I'm going to be happy because it's worth that to me. And if I can't make that statement, then I don't take that risk. Absolutely. The last Um, thing you want is for your hobby to become something that's toxic in your life. Oh, yeah. No. And that's the other thing. I mean, you got to watch out for is it's very easy to try and keep up with the Joneses in comic collecting. Oh, yeah. Say, oh, this guy has all this. Well, you know, this guy can afford all that maybe or he's overextended himself and put himself in a horrible financial situation. But it's just like with gambling or drinking or, you know, anything, any kind of side thing. You know, know your limits and um, stick to them. You know, set a stop loss. You know, set a budget for how much you can spend yeah, on comics. Your budget because a you don't want to end up with the, being the guy who has five hundred dollars in pull books at your shop, and now you can't pay for them, and that screws the shop. And you don't want to be the guy who is late on your credit card payment or missed your car payment because you bought a Silver Age blue chip book. Right. Yeah, I generally, with the exception of some like again the the blue chip kind of stuff, um, I tell people if you're gonna if if you're gonna buy these books because you know and Eddie, I think you'll see this too, or if people come in as readers, but they they oftentimes have that. Well, what are the chances this might be worth something someday? And like that, yep. that that's often on the back of people's mind. And what I tell them is, look, if, if you're not happy with this being valueless, don't buy it now. Um, and, you know, if you get lucky, awesome, but you don't go into it thinking you're go into it understanding that you're buying entertainment and a piece of art that it could be valueless the second you leave my shop. And if you can't be happy with that, then it's probably not something you should purchase because you're probably purchasing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And this is usually people that are more beginners that you have to tell this to. Yes. Um, if it is something you first, you got to tell them buy it because it interests you because you love the art because you want to read the story. If later on, this book is the new walking dead number one, then Hey, congratulations. But keep in mind that you're buying this stuff to read and enjoy because the chances of it being the next walking dead number one are pretty slim. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Eddie, how do you, 1%. how do you handle this question when it comes into you? When someone comes in and says, what's this going to be worth in six months? What's this going to be worth in a year? How do you handle that question? I, I, t- I tell them, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't want to speculate. Um, my answer, my answer is usually that if I knew which ones were going to be worth money, I wouldn't be selling it to you for cover price. Yeah, <laughs> I, I exactly. And I would have ordered a hundred more copies if I knew. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but they think that we're operating when they ask that question they're not asking me just to speculate they they ask me because they think that i'm working with some kind of inside knowledge that i can share with them and nothing could be further from the truth i don't know i don't Publishers know if and the creators be, don't know either you're right right they have no clue I, I don't know if this is going to be the next walking dead or not and i've had people ask me that is this going to be like the next walking dead number one and I have to tell them, I don't know, but the chances of that are probably uh, 99%, 99.9% no. The the other the flip side to that coin is like Marvel put out a character that Donnie Kate's create, created called Cosmic Ghost Rider in 2017. This was a character that just blew up the market. He was the most popular thing you've ever seen. There were a lot of people saying, oh, just wait. You'll be able to buy that book in six months for five bucks for a dollar. And, they said the um, same about just Spider-Verse 2, by the way. Yeah, and they said the same thing about the Batman <laughs> Who Laughs. And they're saying the same thing about Punchline. And, you know, they but they do it for every character. So don't don't be one of those guys and don't listen to those guys who because 99% of the time the character is not gonna the book's not gonna maintain its value. Just because I mean that's not that's not the attitude to have, to just be a negative and say no, no, no every time. It's important to, um, you know, be optimistic and have fun with it if that's what you're, if you're collecting for uh, for speculation. But you also but, shouldn't go out and spend 50 bucks on that first appearance unless it's a character you actually like. Yes, exactly. So there's a, there's a line to walk there. Like, Yeah, if you're going out and spending 50 bucks on it because someone told you it's going to go up in value and it's going to be worth a lot more, um, just keep in mind... Uh, they, they don't, don't know. know any more than you do. Exactly. But uh, the thing is, if you always predict my, my, I guess my point is if you always predict that the negative is going to happen and you just always predict that over and over again, you're going to be right most of the time in a speculation from a speculation standpoint, but you're going to miss out on a lot too. Well, so I, to, to drive home that story, Joe, I was at a presentation with Marvel comics, um, um, where they were up there t- talking right before that Donny Kate series launched. And when they were presenting all the new series and everything to us, that Donny Kate series where that, uh, the cosmic ghost rider launched was, it was, it was a back burner series. It was like one of yeah, the, Thanos. it was like the, it was, yeah, it was one of the last ones that they presented to us. It was not ones that they were putting a bunch of hype behind. And during that same presentation, keep in mind editorial at this point is who we're talking to. And they knew, um, you know, what was coming. Um, and they stand up and tell us, Hey, this X-Men, there was a Charles soul X-Men book. And to, honestly, I don't even remember what happened in the book that it was that unremarkable, but they said, Hey, this is one you're going to want to order up on. Cause this is going to get hot. The, the internet's going to want this book. And so a lot of stores did and no one cared. And that, that, and that, and that Thanos book, nobody had a clue. No one had any warning or we would have ordered up. But the thing is, you know, people ask us all the time and you get this too. Eddie, well, why didn't you order more? Well, it's like, look, even if we do know there's a first appearance of a character, which does happen sometimes, so we do know in advance when we get an order, it is still a very big risk to pre-order real high on that because there is no guarantee that that character is going to take off. And honestly, most of the time when we know that early, they don't. Most of the time when everyone knows that early, there's so many people that order it and the hype dies down by the time it comes out. And a lot of times the character is not that great. So by the time it happens, it hits our co- our floor and not only we can't sell it, like we can't sell it at cover price. Um, yeah, and well, so it's, it's just not an exact science and there's no way to make it one. And, and it's, uh, it's easy manipulated because like you're saying, when shops don't know, and we only order the certain amount that we normally order, there's the demand is high and there's less books. And obviously the price goes up. If we all knew in advance, like for, for instance, that cosmic ghostwriter, how many of us would have ordered hundreds of copies? And now there's hundreds of all copies of out there. That, yeah. yeah. And you could, so, you know, everyone's got it. Everyone's got so many. So it, it's easy to pick up for five bucks at that point. Yeah. And yeah, that's the flip side is if you guys, if you guys ordered a hundred copies each of, of Thanos 13, then yeah. The value now it's worth plummet. nothing. Any good collector is going to have artists that they gravitate to. For me, I have, I mean, I grew up reading Calvin and Hobbes. It's one of my favorite comics ever. That Bloom County and Life is Hell are just very, very important strips to me. Because of my love for Calvin and Hobbes, 
I saw Scotty Young's covers and just immediately said, I have to have all of them. <laughs> and so now I have a short box or two that are just filled with Scotty Young covers. At one point I was going for the full run of Scotty Young covers and um, it just got to be a little too overwhelming. Maybe I'll try and finish it someday, but at this point I, I got to over half, which the man gets a lot of work, <laughs> a ridiculous amount of space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then another one I really like is I, I really like Art Germ's work. I discovered him when he did those Supergirl covers. I at first didn't like his work. I thought it looked a little lifeless at first. But as time has gone on, I've uh, definitely grown to appreciate it significantly more. He posts a lot of Copic marker sketches on his Instagram. They are absolutely amazing. Definitely worth checking out Art Germ's Instagram. Um, Roger, why don't you tell us about who you like to collect? So for me, I don't necessarily have artists that I that I collect um, their covers on that I can think of. I guess if I did, the closest would be Fiona Staples. I do have most of what she's done that wasn't, you know, Saga as well. I'm, I, I, if she puts out a, something for a book, I generally try and get it. Jen Bartel also is another one that if, if she's on a book, if she's on a cover, I, I genuinely, generally like it. So I will generally pick it up. But for the most part, for me, it just has to do with the art itself. If an artist does that I normally like, does a piece that I'm not as big of a fan of, I don't run out to buy it. I don't have that completionist gene in me that a lot of collectors do. So for me, it just depends on, I mean, frankly, it's just as, as, as indef- indefinite as does it appeal to me or not. I mean, it really comes down to that. But I do have many books that I have never read that I bought specifically for the cover art or books I have read, but I bought two or three covers of the same book because I just couldn't decide which one I was going to go for. Eddie, what do you, you, do you have any suggestions, any particular artists that you gravitate towards or collect specifically? I do. I do. So I gravitate more towards gold, silver, and bronze age art, mostly silver and bronze. So one big name, and I hate to just sound so pedestrian with this, but Jack Kirby is probably the one person whose art that if I see on a book, even if it's something I don't collect or don't even care for, I will, I will pick it up. If it's an older late, especially like, you know, fifties, mid late fifties book, silver age, I've bought books with his art or even just the cover art um, that if he is in it, I will buy it. Like if it's a war book or a Western book, stuff I don't even really collect or read, but it's Kirby, I want it. Yeah, he's the one artist that stands out for me that I just have to have it no matter what. I don't think anyone would accuse a Kirby collector of being pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like an, it, it seems like an obvious choice. It, it's cliche. You know, it feels like, cliche, right? But there's yeah, a reason cliche, for that, though. There's, there's a reason. definite reason for why that is. Yeah. Yeah, but I like to see, I mean, obviously, you know, Fantastic Four or any of the other stuff that he's most known for, yeah, not as exciting. But if you see like, um, uh, like sometimes I will see like a, like a early or mid 50s romance or war or Western book with his art, it's something that's just out of the ordinary and something you don't see very often. And I suddenly have to have it. I think I think the uh, next part of art collecting that we really need to touch on is original art, and it's something that I've recently gotten into. Roger, you have a, and Eddie, I'm sure too. You both probably have much more experience with this than me. What's your experience with purchasing OA? How how should someone go about getting into it? What are some mistakes you've made? Sure. Um, I think the same rule for me with original art applies as I was talking about with comics. Um, if it's not worth the amount being charged as an art piece for me, if I personally don't get the enjoyment out of it for that price, I'm not going to buy it. You know, I'm a little bit less of a guy. I buy the art is more than the artist. Now, when you're valuing original art, you value the artist more than you value the art. You know, something like a simple head profile sketch from someone like Frank Miller sells for more than you know, beautiful full color pieces from, you know, lesser known artists. I'm personally don't buy that way. I, there's are, there's very few artists that I'm going to spend a real serious premium on it. If I don't like the individual art piece as well. Uh, so for me, that's not, that's not the way I do it, but you know, I would say original art collecting has been my favorite part 
of collecting period um you get something that's a one of a kind you really get a lot of times when you buy these i i prefer when i can to buy or purchase original art straight from the artist um it's a great experience you get to really interact with the artists and meet them um and and really kind of see what makes them tick and what they're about and they kind of fill you out for the same things to try and deliver a product that they, they think you're going to like and so that's a good experience to one of my favorite things. It's what really got me into Comic-Cons. You know, my first Comic-Con I attended, I actually vended and worked. So for me for a long time, you know, Comic-Con was work and it was, and I was never a celebrity guy. I never wanted to spend a hundred dollars to shake someone's hand. You know, that whole thing just seemed awful to me. And, and there was nothing about that that was appealing. What makes me want to go to cons is that I can meet artists and I can walk up to them, talk about their work, commission them for a piece, come back and get it. And, you know, it's fun to watch them. They get, you know, a lot of times they get real excited to kind of show you what they did for you. And, um, they, they really, um, you know, take a lot of pride in what they do. I probably have less experience than the two of you when it comes to this aspect, because, uh, I've got maybe two original art pieces that I could even point to. Yeah. But you um, sold a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. Of my own. Yeah. Yeah. But that We're counts, talking, man. Okay. All right. Well, not talking about my own original art. I've got about, I think I got two pieces. I've got an old piece from, of all people, Brian Bendis, when he actually used to draw, really? when he used to be an wow. artist. Yeah. It's, um, if you remember, he did a uh, comic book way back when, uh, back in the nineties for, I, God, what was the name of the company? I think it was Caliber. It was a book, a series called Jinx, which was about a uh, female, um, bounty hunter. And there was a page in there that I liked and I saw him at a convention and this is before, obviously he was so well known. So he was just selling his original pages from the book on his table for 25 bucks piece. So I bought one because I really liked the page when I read the book. And so I have that. And then the other one that I have is a more recent piece that was done for actually done for my fourth book by artist uh, who's done a lot of work for DC. His name is Gus Vasquez. Actually, he's um, uh, Rosario Dawson's uncle. And uh, he... He did a uh, he did a piece for my book. I got like I got about five artists, and I said I want to do a section in the book that is kind of like a pinup section, and I want each of you to just do characters from my book, but homage them in a famous comic book cover. Oh, and awesome. so he did, yeah. So he did an X Men one with me as Wolverine and uh, my wife as uh, is it Rogue? Yeah, as Rogue, and. Um, I, I'm spacing on the actual issue number, but it was the one where uh, where Wolverine is kind of running towards uh, the viewer with his claws out. And I'll just make it my uh, cool stuff at the end of this show. and We can put a picture of it up on the Facebook page. So that's really about all I have. I've never really done a lot of interacting like you, Roger, at conventions with artists and getting peace and buying them directly from them. Because a lot of the art that I would love to buy is more the older stuff. And that stuff is just way out of my price range. It's just, I'm, I'm priced out of the market on that stuff. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll never own, especially someone never, like Jack Kirby. Yeah. I'll never own a, an original Kirby page or Ditko page or anything like that. So um, I guess it's not something that I just dream of. You know, I would tell you that you might be surprised though. There's a lot of active silver and gold age artists that are getting by now on just selling commissions and those kind of things that are a lot more reasonable than you would, than you would expect. You know, one that comes to mind, I'm a big Howard, the duck fan and Val Mayeric, who was the artist who designed and created him originally actually does really reasonable sketch work, um, oh, full yeah. paint, okay. full paint stuff. And, uh, it's fantastic work and it's, it's really reasonable to pick some of his stuff up. So don't be hesitant. Okay. Don't hesitate to reach out to some of those guys. A lot of them have websites or, um, you know, you can get their email addresses through various, um, uh, sketch collecting groups. And you might be surprised what some of these guys will sell some of that stuff for. And I would love to, uh, get some original pages or original work from people like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do it now while they're still around. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, I I don't have any sketches. I don't have my. I mean, I buy. I've bought some pages. And that's about the limit of my experience with buying art. And I think the reason. I mean, I, there's something really cool about an original comic page that I it elevates it above just a sketch for me because it was published in a comic that was actually part of the industry. I mean, not that sketches aren't part of the industry, but just like. 
But the original that page it, is a piece of history. Yes, exactly. And so I gravitate towards that side of OA a little more. I mean, the thing about OA, it just gets ridiculous. The price that some original pages go for, it's just mind-boggling. But again, don't let that deter you. I mean, if your goal is to own original pages, it's doable. You can, like, trying to hunt down an original page with Batman on it in my price range was a chore, but I got it done. And it was done by Jock, who is one of the top artists in the field at this time and so like i mean it's out there if you're willing to put in the legwork it's just it's a little harder but it's it's worth it it's well worth it because every time i walk by and look at that hanging on my wall i'm just happy (laughs) but i will tell you for me um i am more likely personally to um spend big money if i'm going to spend big money i'm more likely to do it on an original piece of art than i am on like a silver age book or something like that like i I do both but you know i especially published art i have no problem for me you know spending that money um, on on that kind of stuff personally okay that's going to wrap things up for us this week we give you our best advice on how to start collecting we hope it helps um This is going to be a two-part episode, so next week come back and hear about the investment aspect of comics. We'll talk about, you know, some blue chip books, whether they'll go – not whether they'll specifically go up and down, but more how to to navigate that segment of collecting. We'll talk about speculators. We'll talk about good speculators and bad speculators. Um, These guys will have some stories for you about, you know, how they deal with the guy who comes in the shop and wants to grab every cover off the wall at 9 a.m. on Wednesday. And um, hopefully that's kicking their ass out the door uh, with nothing. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, thank you, gentlemen. And uh, we will be back next week to finish up this topic.